Let's turn to the book of Leviticus. As you know, we took almost a year and when coming through all of the concepts in the Bible that really, uh, that you have to have to really understand how the Bible works in building your own relationship with the Word of God. And then we began to talk about, you know, how we were going to come through the Bible book by book, trying to build a, a library, not only as we go for you, but uh, for anybody down the, lo- down the road that uh, comes into our church that wants to learn the Bible, uh, that we can have a systematic study to really break the Bible down. You know, I found in all the years that I've dealt with people in the Word of God and studied the Bible myself, <coughs> that the problem with the Bible is the fact that when you get in and you read it, you many times you don't know what you're looking for. You don't, know what you're, you, don't, you don't know what to try to put together. So you get lost in all of it, and it, it maybe sometimes defeats people. But what we want to do is I want to bring you through book by book, and I want to show you how each book of the Bible lays itself out. I want you, either by getting the tape or taking your notes, good luck if you're going to take notes, but... Uh, I want you to be able to have at your fingertips everything that you need about that particular book of the Bible. That when you begin to read it next time through the Bible, or when somebody at work, how many times, you know, somebody will ask you at work about what does this mean in the Bible, and, you know, now you have the ability to figure it all out. Obviously, you know, I'm not going to be able to give you everything in the books of the Bible, but I promise you this, you'll have enough about the Bible to figure out and understand what you're dealing with and uh, how that book lays itself out. And so uh, it's been a good time, and just, uh, you know, we talked about the book of Genesis, and we looked at that as the book of the beginning. Then last week we talked about the book of Exodus, and we talked about how that was the book of redemption, and we showed you almost chapter by chapter every aspect of your Christian life. So today we're going to talk about the book of Leviticus. And the book of Leviticus has 27 chapters in it, has 859 verses, and a whopping 29,546 words. And of course, uh, I guess of all the books in the Bible, in fact, I was talking to somebody this week on the phone, can't remember who it was now, and I, uh, I, they asked me what I was going to teach Sunday, it wasn't from our church, and I told them the book of Leviticus, and they went, ooh, the book of Leviticus, what are you going to teach out of there? And uh, I wondered that myself for a while until I, uh, I got into the thing, but let me tell you something, the book of Leviticus, without a doubt, is one of the most practical books in all of the Bible. And uh, it will lay out everything for you that you need to know. In fact, there's one great doctrine that's taught through the book of Leviticus which is absolutely essential for you as a New Testament believer. And the book of Leviticus deals with the Levitical priesthood. It deals with the sacrifices of the priest and the sacrifices for the nation of Israel. Now that's very important. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that if you're saved this morning, you're a priest. Your priesthood is a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. And that is an eternal priesthood that is talked about in the book of Hebrews. And as you know, or you should know, or maybe you don't know, the book of Hebrews is the book that compares what is in the Old Testament to what is in the New Testament. And what you've got in the book of Leviticus, if you've got a picture historically of the Levitical priesthood, the priesthood that was ordained by God in the Old Testament, that they carried out the function for the nation of Israel of the order of the sacrifices. Now what you have in a practical application, chapter by chapter again, you have this great New Testament doctrine laid out for you and for me, 
that you must understand if you're going to be an effective priest for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I know that probably in many cases the fact that you're a priest is a strange concept because we think today in the day and age that we live in that a priest is, you know, of the Roman Catholic garden variety and, uh, and you know, we, don't, we think of ourselves as Christians and we think of ourselves as children of God but you don't hear much today about the fact that you and I are priests if we are saved. And that priesthood is the most important concept that you're ever going to understand because just as the priest in the Old Testament had two aspects to his priesthood, you and I, in a spiritual sense, have two aspects to our priesthood. And you must understand this if you're ever going to be all that God wants you to be. And the book of Leviticus, because of that, you're going to find the word atonement 45 times in that book. You're going to find the word holiness 87 times in that book. And you're going to find the word holy 65 times in that book. In fact, in the New Testament, you're going to find Leviticus quoted in the New Testament over 40 times in the New Testament books. It is a book that you have to understand if you're ever going to be effective for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the book of Hebrews does. The book of Hebrews compares what was in the Old Testament to what came in the New Testament and shows you how that the Old Testament was good, but the New Testament is better. The Old Testament priesthood was good, but it failed in the sense that it could not accomplish what Christ accomplished as our high priest and then because we get saved and we become a child of God, you become a priest. Remember in the Old Testament, you had Aaron, the high priest. He had his sons that were consecrated to be priests. All right? That's a picture. Christ is my high priest, but I'm a child of God. And as a child of God, I have been consecrated the day I got saved to be a priest after the order of my high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. The eternal priesthood talked about in the book of Hebrews chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. So with that in mind, I want to begin to talk to you now about the book of Leviticus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you so much. We thank you for those that have come today that, uh, Lord, we might open up this great book and look at it and see all the things that you have for us. Teach us today, Lord. Help these dear people to understand how the Bible is to them. Don't allow them, Lord, to be caught up in all the foolishness of Christianity today that takes from them this very book, that takes from them, uh, Lord, the priesthood, that wants to get them involved in everything else in this world uh, in Christianity except the Word of God. Let that always be the forefront. Let that always be the focal point of this church and me as their pastor, that we always put the Word of God first and everything else has to come in order after that. Help us, Lord. Bless our families. Bless our times in the Word of God today. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For our sake we ask it. Amen. Now, somewhere in the beginning of your Bible, in the book of Leviticus, I've given you a breakdown of every book so far. Here's what you want to put in the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus has two divisions in it. The first division is going to be chapter 1 through chapter 11. The second division is going to be chapter 12 through chapter 27. Now, the book of Leviticus splits itself right in that fashion. And the breakdown of that book teaches two great New Testament doctrines that you have to understand. And if you don't get this down, you'll never, never, never really do anything meaningly for the, for the Lord. 
Because, remember, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And the first thing that it is profitable for is doctrine. You have to learn, as a child of God, you have to learn doctrine. You have to know the great doctrines by which your faith is built on. This is why most of God's people today don't know why they believe what they believe. We live in a day and age where you can have more fun with God's people uh, if you just want to have some fun with them because of the fact that they believe everything. But they don't believe, they don't know why they believe what they believe. And you cannot suffice in this world with a world, the flesh, and the devil as a child of God with that mentality. You have to know why you believe what you believe. So when the book of Leviticus comes around, we see two great doctrines. We see the doctrine of standing and the doctrine of state. You know, years ago, and you don't hear this anymore because we're in the Laodicean church period now, and most pastors, most churches don't teach the Bible. They got their own agendas trying to do what they want to do. But years ago, there was two concepts of the church. There was called the church militant and the church triumphant. And those two concepts of the church are built on the doctrine of standing in state. One time they were going to execute, back the Roman Catholic Church was going to execute uh, one of the great martyrs uh, back there in, uh, in our church history time. And they get up and they pronounce this thing and they said, we are, going to, we are going to separate you because of your heresy. We're going to separate you from the, church, uh, from the church and we're going to get rid of you and banish you because of your heresy. You know what he said? He pointed that bony finger back before they burned him with the stake and he said, you know what? You'll separate me from the church militant, but you will never separate me from the church triumphant. You know why? Because standing in state is the greatest doctrine in the Bible after you get saved to begin to understand what happened to you when you got saved. We have a discipleship program. Everybody that gets saved that wants to be discipled can be discipled. The first thing we want to deal with when we start to come through there is to help you understand what happened to you the day you got saved. It is absolutely important. We have a lot of churches today, and I'm not fighting anybody. We have a lot of churches today that believe you can lose your salvation. We have a lot of churches today that believe that once you get saved, if you do something, uh, you can lose it. And of course, uh, you know, that's simply not true. But the reason why they believe that is because they do not understand Bible doctrine. They certainly don't understand the book of Leviticus. They don't understand the priesthood as it's laid out in the Old Testament, typified in the book of Hebrews as the New Testament priesthood that is eternal, that is better than the old one that you and I are part of because we got saved. Now here's the bottom line. You're standing in Christ. You're standing in Christ. The church triumphant. When you got saved, when you got saved, the Bible says the moment you trusted Christ as your own personal Savior, you are sinlessly perfect. Your soul got separated from your flesh. Now Paul says you have two natures. The old nature, your flesh, you have to contend with. Your new nature in Christ Jesus. He calls them the old man and the new man. The old nature and the new nature. But the moment you got saved, the Bible says that your new nature is one with Christ. Your soul has been set apart, and you now are one with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the book of Ephesians is all about. 
The book of Ephesians lays this whole concept out and shows you that the day you got saved, not only did God separate your soul from your flesh, He sealed your soul with the Holy Spirit of God. And you were sealed unto the day of redemption. That is your standing. Your standing this morning in Christ Jesus is sinless perfection. When God sees you, you say, but you don't understand what I did last week. That's your state. We'll talk about that in a minute. You've got to understand this great doctrine of the church triumphant and the church militant. The standing versus the state. The moment you got saved, you were in Christ, and He is in you, and He separates your soul and seals you. Otherwise, He could never have any fellowship with you. Because you and I are an unclean vessel. And if God didn't do something to separate the uncleanliness from the cleanliness, that He could never dwell in us. And that is what your standing is all about. So in chapter 1 through chapter 11, you know what the theme is? The theme is the way to God. The way to God. And it's talking about the priesthood and the Old Testament and the way they got to God. You know how they got to God? Through sacrifice. You know how you get through God? Through sacrifice. Hence, the standing. The standing. And when you come through chapter 1, <clears throat> through chapter 11, you're going to find all the sacrifices, all the offerings. In chapter 1, you're going to find the burnt sacrifice. In chapter 2, you're going to find the meat offering. In chapter 3, you're going to find the peace offering. In chapter 4, you're going to find the sin offering. In chapter 5, you're going to find the trespass offering. By the way, when you find sin offerings in the Bible, that's for man's sins against God. When you find trespasses in the Bible, that's man's sin against man. You want to remember that. Then you come to chapter 6 through chapter 9, and you find the, uh, the, the sacrifice that's uh, around the priest. You find the offering in chapter 6 at the consecration of the priest. You find in chapter 7, you find that the priest... His portion of the sacrifice. You find in chapter 8, you find the, 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 uh, when, 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 they're, when they're consecrated of the sons of Aaron. That chapter deals with that. And when you picture out down through this side, in chapter 9, you find the fire coming down from God that accepted that sacrifice. In chapter 1 through chapter 11, it is sacrifice, 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 showing you that the way to God, the way to your perfect standing in Christ has to come through a sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament, you had literal sacrifices. You had a sacrifice in chapter, a burnt offering, a meat offering, a peace offering, a sin offering, a trespass offering. Those were the Old Testament sacrifices that were done away when Christ came and died. The Bible says that when Christ died on the cross, He completed and fulfilled everything in the Old Testament. That's why all of those Old Testament things are done away with in Christ Jesus. Now, the day you and I got saved, we got everything that Jesus Christ is. And if you would have the time to come back through chapter 1, through chapter 2, and chapter 3, you would study every one of those sacrifices as a different aspect of Christ coming down and dying. The burnt sacrifice, the meat sacrifice, the peace offering, the sin offering. In those offerings, in those 11 chapters, 
Everything that Christ was is fulfilled in him by those 11 chapters. And when he died on the cross, he wiped away those things because they were in him. And when you get in him, you get those things applied to your sin. That is what your standing is. And this morning, you and I, if you're saved, when God looks at you, God sees his son. He sees his blood. He doesn't see the wrong things you did, the bad thoughts you had. That's something else. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. In fact, as you come through these chapters, and I'm asked this question a lot. Turn over to chapter 8, verse 24. I'm asked this a question a lot in Bible study. Because it kind of looked like a weird deal. And in chapter 8, verse 24, you have the consecration of the priests, the sons. And this is a beautiful picture of what happened to you and to me. He says in chapter 8, verse 24, he says this, And he brought Aaron's sons, and, and Moses put of the blood upon the tip of their right ear, and upon the thumb of their right hand, and upon the great toe of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood upon the altar round about. Strange verse. Until you understand the concept of what we're talking about. We are talking about the priesthood in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, foreshadowing the coming priesthood, which is going to be eternal. And your understanding here is the way of God, the way that you get to God is through sacrifice. And I'm telling you, you look down there and say, well, what does it mean when he took the blood and put it on the right part of his ear? And he put the blood on the right big thumb. And he put the blood on the right big toe. I don't know if you know this or not. But you know your big thumb's important? You know your big toe's important? You know that you can't walk without a big toe, right? You know that in the Old Testament, when they wanted to, when they wanted to debase a man, and they didn't want to kill him, but they wanted to humiliate him, uh, <laughs> they wanted to really make him look bad. You know what they did? They do this in the book of Judges. They cut off his thumbs and his toes. You know why? That makes him like an animal. Animals don't have thumbs or great toes. That's why you never see a dog hitchhiking. They don't have thumbs. They don't have toes, big toes. So when you cut those off, you can't eat. You can't walk. Those things represent balance in your life. Balance in your life. Balance in your life. And then he says, it's the right. Right ear, right big thumb, right big toe. Right in the Bible is always Jesus Christ. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's God's right hand. He's God's right arm. We use the expression, man, I love that guy. I'd cut my right arm off for him. That's exactly what God did for you and for me. He cut off his right arm, Jesus Christ, for you and for me. And when he says in chapter 8 at the consecration of Aaron's sons that he puts the blood on the right ear, on the right thumb and the right great toe, he's showing you that the way to God is through sacrifice. And I know in the Old Testament historically, he's literally putting the blood on the ear and the thumb and the toe. But for you and for me in the eternal priesthood, it shows the day you get Christ in your life, you are covered by the blood from head to toe. That's your standing. Your standing is in Christ, and you are covered by the blood from head to toe. Now, you can take that every way you want to take it. 
And you can talk about the fact that the things, from that point on, the things that you listen to are under the blood. The things that you do are covered by the blood. The places you go are ordained and covered by the blood. Right ear, right, right thumb, and the right great toe. Where you hear, what you do, and where you go. This is why the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Now that's a strange verse for most Baptist preachers today. In fact, it's so strange, and they don't have any idea what it means, that in all the new Bible it's changed. And I dare to say, if you'd go to any church or most churches today, and they'd preach 1 John 3, 9, it would be like this. He that is born of God doth not practice sin. And they get the word commit out. You know why? Because this Baptist, we just can't understand how once you're saved, you can not sin. Why the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we say we have no sin, we lie and do not the truth. And then just a, a, a couple chapters later it says, he that is born of God doth not commit sin. Oh, oh, it's one of those old translations that are messed up by our old King James Bible. We got to fix it. No, no, no. That's the doctrine of standing in state. In my state, yes, I commit sin daily. But in my standing, hey, it says, He that is born of God doth not commit sin. Why? For his seed remaineth in him. You know what got born of God in me the day I got saved? Not my flesh. No, my flesh is still as wicked as it ever was. You know what got born again about me? It was my soul. It got sealed. It got separated. And I am sealed under the day of redemption. And in that, I'll give you a way to re-understand it. Saved by grace. Sealed by the Spirit of God. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, seated in heavenly places. There it is. Saved, sealed, seated. Easy as that. I just made that up. Write that down, somebody, because I'll forget it, but then we get out of here. You're saved, you're sealed, and you're seated. That's my standing in Christ Jesus. I am covered by the blood. And I am born of God, and I don't commit sin, because His seed remaineth in Him. That's my standing. Now, my state is something else. And where we just looked at, chapter 1 through chapter 11, as your standing, and the way to God through sacrifice, now we come to chapter 12 through chapter 27. And we see not the way to God, now we see your walk with God. You see that thing? One standing, one state. Now what's your state? The state is whatever state you're in this morning. You see, here's how it works. Once you get saved, God separates your soul and seals your soul, and now your standing is sinless perfection in Christ. Hence, he that is born of God doth not commit sin. You're in Christ. But your state is something else. One deals with your new nature. One deals with your old nature. That Bible tells you over and over and over again that once you're saved, you don't walk after the flesh. You walk after the Spirit. You don't mind the things of the flesh. You do mind the things of the Spirit. That's why the Bible says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, the Word of God. You change your mind. And the more you put God's mind into your heart, 
the less your flesh follows the things of the world. The more you make God's things, your things, God's ways, your ways, God's thoughts, your thoughts, the more you're like Him, the less you're like the world. That's your state. Your state is your fellowship, your walk with God day by day. And you know as well as I do, that can suffer sometimes. We all do dumb things. There isn't a day that doesn't go by that we don't fail. That has nothing to do with your soul. That has nothing to do with your standing. That has to do with your state. That's not the church triumphant. This is the church militant. This is the warfare of Ephesians chapter 6 that you're in all your life after you're saved and you have to stay with the book to stay with God and not fall. That's why he says in 1 John chapter 1 verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. What? Why well, thought I got my sins cleansed from Romans chapter 10 the day I got saved? You did. And when you got saved, Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, that puts you into the body of Christ, and your standing is now sinless perfection. Church triumphant. But oh, you got to face tomorrow. You got to face your boss. You got to face your enemies. You got to face worse than that, your flesh. You have to face the struggles of this life to maintain your fellowship with God because the Bible says you have to walk in the light as He is in the light. Light is the Word of God, Psalms 119. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet, light unto my path. Then you have to continue to walk in the light of God's Word to have fellowship with Him. And when you don't, then you confess it, not to be saved all over again, church, church triumphant. Church militant. You say, God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't have done that. And God forgives you and cleanses you and puts you back into fellowship with Him based on the Word of God. Two of the greatest doctrines that you have to learn that's taught by the breakdown of the book of Leviticus. And just as chapter 1 through chapter 11, chapter by chapter deals with the aspect of your way to God through sacrifice, your state, chapter 12 through chapter 27, deals your walk with God through sanctification. So lo and behold, in chapter 12, what do we find? We find the doctrine of circumcision. We find that God told those Jews back there, when a male is born, wait eight days after he's born, and then you circumcise him. And there's all kinds of medical things about that eighth day. I've read all kinds of books on it. And you know what? They're probably true. I read a guy one time that was a doctor that wrote a book on circumcision about the marvels of God. And he said, he said, you know what? When a baby's born, it takes eight days for that blood to get to the point where it'll clot right. So therefore, that's why God in His sovereign wisdom said wait eight days. I believe that. I believe that. But I also know this. Remember, I've given you numbers now, but the numbers as we come through the Bible, the number eight is the number of new beginnings. Yes, it is. The number eight in the Bible is the number of new beginnings. When that baby was circumcised the eighth day, that's the picture of the spiritual circumcision that took place in your life that made you a new creature in Christ Jesus the day you got saved. Did you ever look at it? That literal circumcision was done with a knife on a part of the anatomy that has to do with seed that are part of the anatomy that has to do with birth. 
And the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 that we are circumcised with a spiritual circumcision made without hands that has to do with God's seed at a new birth. That old circumcision back there was a picture of the new one was coming, just like the old priesthood was a picture of the new one is coming. That's the book of Hebrews. What was old in the Old Testament, there's a better one in the New Testament. And you know what that circumcision did for the nation of Israel? It made them different from all the other nations. So much that when they want to talk about the Philistines or the other Gentile nations, they make, a, a, they make a, 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 a point where they say, that uncircumcised Philistine. There's some uncouth phrases in the Bible. They mean something. And they're only uncouth in our modern society, that, but they're not uncouth to God. God says, those uncircumcised Philistines. And he said, stay away from them. And the reason I want you to stay away from them is because they're going to mess you up every time they can. So I'm going I'm to have you mark your body where it has to do with birth and seed to make you separate from everybody else on this planet. And you know what? That's exactly what he did spiritually the day you got saved. He spiritually circumcised your flesh from your soul where the literal circumcision was a circumcision of the flesh. Your spiritual circumcision, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, 12, and 13, read it sometime, had to do with your body of your sins and your soul. And now you're set apart. You're spiritually circumcised. You're set apart. You're different. And you're to act different. You're to talk different. You're to think different. You're to be different. Why? You're God's child and you're a priest. You're covered from the blood, ear, Thumb, toe, head to toe. So in chapter 12, first thing he deals with and shows us, circumcision. We're separated. You know what he does in chapter 13 and 14? He deals with leprosy. Leprosy. You know leprosy in the Old Testament is a picture of sin. Oh yeah, yeah. Particularly an unsaved man. Because that leprosy put a mark on a man. In fact, the priest was told to look for the marks of leprosy on anybody that had leprosy. You know where leprosy comes from? It comes from prolonged uncleanliness. It comes from you living in the dirt for all of your life. Leprosy is not something that just happens. Leprosy comes because of your living conditions become so depraved and so filthy and so unclean that you get a disease that eats away your body until you die. That's sin. One of the greatest stories in the Bible is found in 2 Kings chapter 5. I got a message I preach on it. You know what I call it? I call it the day an army captain got saved. You know who it was? Nahum. Oh yeah, great story. And you want an illustration of what's going on here. 2 Kings chapter 5 said, here's Nahum. He was captain of the Lord's host. He was, had this, he had that, he had great servants. And the Bible says he was a great man, but he was a leper. You see, the greatest things you can have in life, the greatest things you can attain to, the greatest things that you can have in all of your life doesn't change the fact that you're still a leper. And that sin will eat you and eat you till your ear falls off, your nose falls off, your hands fall off, till you die. 
And old Nahum, just like most unsaved people, he goes down to the man of God. Because that's where you get your leprosy cleansed, you see. And he goes down there and he says, okay. He says, go baptize Dan Jordan seven times. Well, he goes down there and baptizes himself seven times in Jordan. And he comes out and his flesh is clean like a little child. Picture of a man getting saved. By washing of the water, by regeneration, the Bible says. Now back here in the back of Leviticus, if that leper wanted to get cleansed, you know what he had to do? Remember the, the last thing I told you back before we switched over to chapter 12? Blood on the ear, blood on the thumb, blood on the great toe. Oh, you got leprosy and you want to get cleansed. Picture of an unsaved man. You know what you got to get? You got to get the oil on the ear. Oh yeah. On the thumb, chapter 14, verse 17. And on your great right toe. You got to get the Holy Spirit of God covering you. There's the Holy Spirit of God coming inside you to live inside you is the only way you can get rid of your leprosy. And that leprosy is a picture of sin before we're saved and after we're saved. So in chapter 13 and 14, he shows them how to deal with leprosy. And I'm telling you, that's what's wrong with this world today. This world's got full of lepers. And they're being eaten alive by their own filth and their own flesh. And it's come because God's people live in prolonged uncleanliness year after year after year and then walk around saying, well, I wonder what's wrong with me. You're a leper. You need to get under the Holy Spirit of God to get that leprosy clear off your body. Well, then in chapter 15, Now he has a chapter that deals with dealing with the uncleanliness in a general sense of men and women. And I, I look at this chapter as simply this. How you stay clean in a dirty environment. This chapter here will keep you from getting leprosy. How many sons of God, how many, how many Christians, men and women have gotten saved, fallen back into the world, went back into that filth, and got destroyed because of their sin. When God says, leprosy will eat at you, it will destroy you. But I'm telling you, I can keep it so you never get leprosy. You've got to understand the nation of Israel. At least four or five million people living in close quarters. No porta potties No sanitary cooking conditions. I mean, we think about all the children of Israel out there bebopping around the wilderness, no big deal. No, it was a big deal. You know how much garbage four or five million people could put together in a day? Go to New York City when they have a garbage strike. Why, would be piled up 200 feet high by the end of the week. What'd they do with that? Shipped it over to Saudi Arabia and Iraq. That's why those people live in litter boxes over there. I don't know. What a mess that must have been. And the nation of Israel had to have strict cleansing laws in a society that was close quartered with millions of people because we as human beings are dirty. I mean, I know you shower in the morning and you smell great. Yeah, look at you at the end of the day. Go out and mow the grass. Go play softball. Go play this. We, have an, we as human beings, we have an affinity for picking up dirt. And chapter 15 shows how to keep the uncleanliness to a minimum in a man and woman's life. You know what he says? 
He says, you'll wash your flesh and clothes in running water. Every day. All the day long. You know, in the, in the, in the 1200s, the Black Plague swept across Europe. And the Black Plague killed more people. In fact, when the Black Plague was done sweeping through Europe, it took about 50, 60 years. By the time that Black Plague came through Europe, there were more dead people than there were alive people. And the Jews and the Waldensians, the early Christians, never got the Black Plague. So henceforth, the Roman Catholic Church blamed it on them and started killing them because of the fact they believed they were in witchcraft and put it on all the other people. You know why they didn't get it? Because their practice, the Europeans over there, the Roman Catholics, they're just washing their hands in bowls of water and putting the dirt right back on them again. The Jews and the Waldensians were following the dietary and the sanitary practice of the book of Leviticus and they were washing their clothes and hands in running water to get the germs off. And that's a picture of you want to keep from getting leprosy? Wash your flesh daily by the Word of God. Take a shower, minute by minute. Let the Word of God dwell in you all richly. Get into the Word of God. Get into the book. It'll keep you clean. Then chapter 16. And this is something that in your walk with God, you need to understand. Circumcision. You're separated from the world. You need to understand in your walk with God about leprosy, type of sin. As your walk with God, you need to understand, chapter 15, how that as a man or a woman, Christian man or woman, you stay clean in a filthy world. And in chapter 16, you need to understand the price tag that was paid for your salvation. So in chapter 16, it's a great chapter on the scapegoat. The scapegoat. Scapegoat's real easy to understand. They brought two goats down. One died, one lived. Type of Christ. My scapegoat. We were standing side by side. He died for me, and I can live because of it. You need to understand that. You'd be surprised how many of God's people say they're saved. Maybe they are. Say they believe all about the Bible. Maybe they do. But they could care less about what their scapegoat did for them. They could care less in reality. I'll tell you the truth. If you really understand what Christ did for you, and you're truly saved, I don't know how you can live your life the way some of God's people live it. I don't understand that. And I know I'm weird. I know. I know. That's what the Word of God has done to me. I, 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 I'm weird. I, understand. I give you that. I do. But I, I don't understand. I don't understand how when somebody's really truly saved, that anything can get in the place of God. No, I know on Sunday morning, you know, we all have things that come up. I know that. But you know what? I don't understand how a saved person who can just say I'm saved and on my way to heaven can have more fun on Friday night or Saturday night and when it comes to Sunday morning, just roll over and shut the alarm off or not set it all and say, you know what? I ain't going today. I don't understand that. Now, I know what happened. I can't get there. There ain't nothing in my life more important than here or this book. I don't care what. I like to do a lot of things. We, we, we had some people over last night for a new members reception. And I lived, not, I lived like nine miles away from the I-70, not I-70, the uh, drag strip. And they had jet cars over there this weekend. Whoa. We were walking out. People were leaving. Man, I heard them jet. I could smell Mmm, smell like napalm. I can, mm, I mean, I can smell that stuff burning. Those jets, I mean, it was like they were just on the next, I mean, woo, 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 and I mean, I, I mean, just, I can't even describe it, but I'm excited. It was incredible. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to go. 
I heard them big old funny cars over there. And they're burning them big old tires, smoking them. And, you know, guys down there putting that on there. And they're sitting up side by side. And the light's up here, you know. They call it a Christmas tree. And, down, and the guys come down, you know. And, and you ought to hear them. Whoa! My dogs are barking. I mean, everybody in the neighborhood, the cats falling out of the trees, the rabbits are running, they're shaking the ground. They are thunder on wheels. I was going to go. Because I know I've been going a while, and I'd, I'd, I could sneak in. Oh, yeah, I'd just say, oh, I'm in charge of the pit crew here. I just come out to get a Coke. I had to go back in here. You know, my car's on the line here. I'll be back in just a minute. You know, I was going to go. Whoa, I'm telling you, they were thundering over there last night. I mean, this wasn't like... You know, high school grudge matches. No, this was the big boys. And they weren't staying on the front porch. Whoa, they were the big dog running down that quarter mile track. And I could just envision the smoke, the smell, the cheering fans, the guys with the little goggles. Oh, and I went and got my little goggles and put them on. And I was sitting out there in the porch and I listened to the thunder on wheels. But you know what? 11 o'clock, I got to go to bed. Because I need to be thunder on wheels tomorrow morning when I get here. I don't need to be doing that. I'm telling you. I don't understand it. I don't understand how you get saved and then just say, Well, God, I'll fit you in where it's convenient. I don't understand. I know it happens. Hey, I'm not fighting anybody. I'm just telling you. I don't get that. When I got saved, I got saved all over, inside and outside, man. I can't think of anything I'd rather do. Why? Because I know he was my scapegoat. And I know there was a day in eternity when I stood here lost, without Christ, without hope. And my Jesus stood on this side, holy, pure, perfect. And he became the scapegoat for me. I don't know what to say. So I'm going to move on. 17, 18, 19, and 20. You know what he got there? Sins of the other nations. Stay away from them. In chapter 7, you got the nations that eat blood. You find them in Psalms. Drink offerings of blood, Psalm 16. Chapter 18, uncovering nakedness. The fire of Moloch, where they had sex relations in a, in a, in a religious service, born the illegitimate children, and then took them down to the big Bronze God put him in his hand with a fire in his belly, cranked the hands, and dumped the babies in the fire. Chapter 19, he puts in a chapter talking about God's holiness. That God won't stand for that. That will be the downfall of the nation of Israel. Chapter 20, witchcraft, sexual perversion. And all the things, the godless things that the other nations were committing and doing that every time the nation of Israel got involved, it drugged them down from God. And it shows you and it shows me in the Old Testament the great spiritual principle of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, which says, Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. Then you got chapter 21. Chapter 21, you got the physical qualifications for being a priest. Now, here's where you start to see this stuff bear out. Not anybody could just be a priest. If you wanted to be a priest, there's a whole list of things you have to qualify, and none of them have anything to do with anything spiritual. 
It has to do with your physical characteristics. If you were ugly, you couldn't be a priest. If you had a broken nose, if you had a broken arm or broken hand, if you had any spot or any blemish on you, you couldn't be a priest. Why? Because it was foreshadowing the day that the book of Ephesians talked about in Ephesians chapter 5 or 26 and 27. That he said, talking about the church, you and me, the priesthood, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and that it should be holy and without blemish. You see, the day God saved you and made that eternal priesthood, God gave you your standing, no blemishes. You're perfect. You're sinless. And you and I need to understand that as priests, we need to keep ourselves clean. Why, it was the priest who did his work in the tabernacle. And there in the tabernacle was a little table with a showbread. Bake fresh every day. Picture of your Bible. That showbread was, is a picture of the Word of God. Bake fresh every day. And just so you wouldn't miss it. He said, there's 12 tribes. Make 12 loaves. Okay, that's for Israel. I'll get the 12 loaves. But when you put it on that table, put 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And then right underneath that, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 more. 6-6, six, six. not only is it stand for the nation of Israel, but as a type of the word of God has shown you, there's a book coming that's going to be God's bread that you're allowed to eat just like the priest ate it that had 66 books in it. Oh, I'm telling you, that's some Bible you got. And I'm not even preaching from the reversed revision yet. That's some Bible you got. In chapter 22, <clears throat> You got the personal holiness of the priest. And you realize that you're, the key to your walk with God is you're walking in the light versus the darkness. And he says in verse 3, Say unto them, Whosoever he be of all your seed among your generations that goeth unto the holy things which the children of Israel hallow. That's the priest. Unto the Lord. Having his uncleanliness upon him, that soul shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. Clearly speaking, clearly saying, my friend, if you're not clean this morning and haven't judged and confessed the sins of your state this morning, you and God are out of fellowship. We got weird ideas as Christians. You know, we think we can go out there and meander around the world, do what we want to do, think what we want to think, be what we want to be, and then come around here and say, well, you know what? Well, me and God, we're kind of in fellowship. I had a guy say one time, well, he said, I'm not really in fellowship with God, but I'm not really out of fellowship with God. That exists only in your mind. Sitting here this morning, you're either confessed up and right with God, getting all that God got for you, or you're dirty this morning and God's having a tough time getting through. Hey, Chapter 22, two kinds of sin. One was two ways you got unclean. One was in verse 5, you touched something dead. Hanging out with her unsaved world, are you? Wonder how many people didn't show up to church around this city this morning because they were too busy out with their friends, the unsaved world last night, and then want to rock around and say, well, I'm a witness, I'm a witness. What a witness you are. What a witness you are. 
You see, I'm telling you. God's people spend too much time touching dead things. I'm not saying you shouldn't be friends to unsaved people. I'm not saying you should cut them all off. My Bible says have no fruitful, have, have no, uh, have no, um, stay away from unsaved people. <laughs> have no fellowship. <laughs> I got it. Well, the unfruitful workers of darkness, but rather reprove them. And then, the next verse, stay away from unsaved people. <laughs> Guys, you can't mix and match. I'm not saying you don't have, I have lost friends. I have people that I have to be with that are unsaved, that I genuinely want to get saved. But you know what? Boy, when it comes to the point that they got more influence in your life than God does, you're, you're, you're out of balance. So the first, the first uncleanliness was touching something that was dead. Verse 5, unsaved. You know what the second problem was? How they got unclean? They had a running issue. An ongoing sin. Verse 4. Something that they've had all their life they can't shake. Something that keeps dragging them down. Something that just keeps putting them under. Something they just can't get on top of. Get a victory. Oh, there could be a number of things that is. It's immaterial what it is. I'm just telling you. Your personal holiness and as a priest will be attacked two ways. By the unsaved world and by the things in your life. Maybe you did when you, before you were saved. Or maybe you did after you were saved. Or maybe you just never dealt with that have been running issues in your life ever since you've been saved. And there's a way to deal with it. Oh, yeah. You need to get the Holy Spirit of God on your ear, on your thumb, and on your toe. Yeah, it is. Then we come to chapter 23. In chapter 23, you know what you got? You got the feast laid out. Now, there's eight feasts here in chapter 23. And those eight feasts run the course of seven months. They are the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. Those three fruit, those, those three fruit, yeah, those three fruits are sitting out in the car. Those three feasts take place in the first month. Then the second month, uh, the second feast runs 49 days. It's called the Feast of Weeks. Then the third month, you have the Feast of Pentecost. Then the fourth month, the fifth month, and the sixth month, you got no feast. And the last month, the seventh month, you have the Feast of Trumpets, Feast of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And you have no more feast the rest of the year. Wow. What an incredible concept. The feast of the Passover, feast of the unleavened bread, feast of first fruits, first month. Forty-nine days, feast of the week, second month. Third month, Pentecost. Then four, five, and six, no feast. Then the last feast, trumpets, seventh month. Atonement, seventh month. Tabernacle, seventh month. You know what you got there? You got a picture of man being on this earth for 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, and the 7,000 year being the millennial reign of Christ, and that's why there's no more feast the rest of that year, because it's over Revelation chapter 20, 21, and 22. If that weren't enough, First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23, oh, I love this, says there's three raptures in the Bible. You want to have fun with some Baptists sometimes? They're going to get smart with you? 
just say, you know what, there's three raptures in the Bible, which one are you going up in? Well, I don't, you can't, the Bible says, come up here the three times. Three raptures in the Bible, three times somebody go up. You say, well, I don't believe that. I don't care what you believe. It ain't my fault you don't read the Bible. Proverbs 25, 7, come up hither. Revelation 4, 1, come up hither. Revelation chapter 11, verse 12, come up hither. Read it. Three times, up, up, up. They all match three feasts. Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. Passover, Old Testament saints went up. Pentecost, me and you. Tabernacles, tribulation saints. You won't beat it. Wherever you go, that book lays it out. And those seven feasts, you see, the Jewish year began with the Passover. Now up to that point in Exodus chapter 12, it began with the Feast of Tabernacles. But in Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he says, this is going to be the beginning of the months for you. Change the calendar. And from that point on, the feast of the Passovers marked the Jewish beginning of the year, and those feasts ran seven months consecutively. And when you got to that last feast on the seventh month, no more for the rest of the years, because it's over. You know what that tells me? Those Old Testament priests back there in Leviticus, they built their lives their jobs, and everything they did around those feasts. And I'm telling you right now, as a child of God, I'm building my life and everything I do around God's plan and God's program. Just as that Old Testament priest saw that, understood that, and said, you know what, that's God's plan, I got to take everything I do and wrap it around that, not wrap around God, around what I want to do. And he changed their lives and put everything they did, thought was, around God's program in the Old Testament. And you know what? As a New Testament priest after the order of Melchizedek who understands my standing and understands my state and understands my priesthood, I'm going to look at the program of God and I'm going to build everything in my life around what God's doing. Chapter 24. Chapter 24, he gives them instructions on the oil for the lamps. He tells you very clearly that it's olive oil. Romans chapter 9, verse 9, Romans chapter 9, 10, 11 shows you that Christ is the olive tree. Paul goes through that great study in Romans chapter 11 and 9. Showing you the restoration of the nation of Israel. And he explains to you and to me that the Christ is the olive tree. That Israel is the natural branches. And you and I are the wild olive tree grafted in. And the oil from the tree is the Holy Spirit of God. And you know what? When God told those priests back there. And he gave them all the stuff for the tabernacle. And all the things that were going on, all the things that were taking place, and he had the oil for those lamps, he says this. He says, those lamps are never to go out. And yet when you come through your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 3, when Samuel was just a young guy trying to learn the aspect of the ministry, the lamp went out. You know why? Because the priesthood 
under Eli was totally corrupt. And they cared nothing about the things of God. They cared nothing about keeping that lamp burning. Those boys have their own agenda. And here was a young man, here was a young man who wanted to learn God and everything about God. One of the greatest studies you'll ever find any place in your life, how God speaks to a young man or a young lady about God's calling to work in them in their life. And they're down here and this young man is in the church. He's in the temple. He's down there. His mother brought him down. His mother dedicated him unto the God and brought him down and said, Here, Eli, here you take him and make him a great man of God. And that church <clears throat> was corrupt. And the preachers were corrupt. And they had their own agenda. It had nothing to do with God. And they were busy chasing their own dreams and chasing their own things. And while they're busy building their churches, the lamp of God went out. Leviticus chapter 24 verse 2 says that lamp is to burn continually. And I'm telling you, we're living in a day and age where the lamp of God has gone out. We're in the Laodicean church period. I'm nothing great. I don't, what I, you could write volume what I don't know about the Bible. But I'm dumb enough and smart enough to figure this out. In these last days in this darkness, brother, we're living in the dark ages just like they did back in 1200 A.D. The devil has come down and scooped up the word of God and churches and people and preachers are out there playing some kind of church game, doing everything in the world except teaching their people the Bible. And there's men and women out there right now that say, you know what, I want to learn God. I want to learn the Bible. Well, where do I go? What do I do? How do I get there? And I'll tell you what you need today. I'll tell you what this city needs and every city around this city needs. It needs somebody who will just keep the light burning. That's all you need. You don't need a billboard. I told you a couple of weeks ago, if you got here this morning, you know one thing on yourself. You got here because God got you here. I'm not even in the phone book. I don't even have a sign. We don't have a web page. We don't have any of that stuff. You know what? We ain't going to have any of that stuff. We don't have, you can't just drive into town and see our spire and know how to get here. Our spire fell down. Our baptismal pool has been dry since we started here. I'll tell you why. I played the games. I went the route. I've seen it all. 30 years of my life. And I made up my mind when we did this church that it was going to be God's way. And if God, if, if God can't bring them, if, if, if I've got to go up and pump everybody up, if I've got to go out here and put a web, and I'm not fighting those things. I'm not. If you've got a web page in your church, I'm all for it. If you've got a steeple, hey, great, man, I'm fine. There's the church, there's the steeple, open the door, and there's all the people. I'm for it. I'm all for that. I, you can have all the, I'm not fighting it. I'm just saying, here's what I believe. I believe in these last days that God said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And I simply believe that if I just stand here and preach the book and love the book and give you the best deal I know how to give you, instead of saying, how much can you give me? I will say, how much can I give you? I'll spend time with you and teach you the Bible. And if, whatever you need. That is my job because my job is not to take big offerings. It's not the big, big buildings. My job is simply stated, my job is to make sure that lamp don't go out. Second Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 21, great principle. It says, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. And then it says, quench not the spirit. And that's what's wrong with Christianity today. That's why unsaved people look at most churches and won't go. 
won't listen to most preachers, look at most Christians and think it's ridiculous, because it is. We're living in an age where we play in all kinds of churches with all kinds of big deals, but the lamp's gone out. There's nobody, there's no light. Nothing going can see the light. The lamps have burned out. The Holy Spirit of God, the olive oil, the, the church of God has lost its fire. And as Forrest Gump would say, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Chapter 25. Boy, I wish this book had 50 chapters in it. Chapter 25. The year of Jubilee. He says in verse 10 of chapter 25. And ye shall hallow the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you and ye shall return every man unto his possession and ye shall return every man unto his family. You know how that God had that thing worked out? He said, you know what? You can do whatever you want to do within my standards that I'm giving you here. You can have businesses. You can have this. You can have that. But at the end of 49 years, because I'm God and I do things by seven, so seven times seven is 49. And he says, at the end of those 49 years, on the 50th year, there's going to be a jubilee year. And everything and everybody, every slave, Every animal, every piece of property, everything goes back to its original owner. It starts over again. I'm going to proclaim the year 5-0 as liberty throughout the land. In fact, so much that when Philadelphia, on the Liberty Bell, they got Leviticus chapter 25, verses 9 and 10. That was before there was a church-state issue. But oh, I'm telling you, you know what it's a picture of? For the Jew, it's a picture of the day of the Lord. Theme of the Bible. The second coming of Christ. The day after 7,000 years, man on this planet, and Christ comes back at the millennium, the 7,000 year, and he sets up his jubilee year, and brother, we're off in eternity. It's a picture for you and me, the day of Jesus Christ. Remember, the day of the Lord is the second coming. The day of Jesus Christ in the Bible is the rapture of the church. And it's a picture of the year. We're set free. Oh, I'm free now. I'm in Christ. But I'm still under the bondage of this flesh. There's coming a day. I'm going to be set free. And I'm not going to have this old carcass to haul around anymore. I'm going to be with him. Glory to God that day. That's my year of Jubilee. That's what he's talking about. There's coming a day you're going to be free. There's coming today every unsaved person or every saved person that died in Christ under the bondage of this life. Even though they're in heaven and they're free, they're still under the mortal bondage. And the Bible says, just as we bore the image of the earthly, we're going to bear the image of the heavenly and we're going to be free. Here at Jubilee. Oh, I'll tell you what. We're spelling right our first anniversary. We're going to have a good time. God carries this coming. Hope he doesn't. But wow, we're going to have a knockdown throwout come our 50th year. Honey, our 50th anniversary is coming up next year. We're going to have a great time. <laughs> you don't think so? No, honey. We put in a lot of overtime. <laughs> Chapter 26. <laughs> Chapter 26. You know what Chapter 26 is? It's the blessings of God, but it's a warning. 
Because the blessings of God, my friend, are conditional. Hey, let me tell you something. God will save you unconditionally. But the blessings of God in your life after you're saved, standing in state, He sinless perfection, church triumphant standing. But your state, the blessings of God are conditional. He says in, in verse 1 of chapter 26, You shall make no idols nor graven images, neither rear up a standing image, Neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. See that thing? He says, if you don't, I will give you peace in the land. You stay with my word. You stay with me. You stay in the book. You follow my statutes. Don't have other gods. I will give you peace in the land. Now this thing will work in your individual life. It will also work for any country. Watch what I'm saying. Here comes Fox News, CBS, and ABC all in one basket right down the road to you. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know the book of Leviticus is boring. I'm going to give you that gal's phone number. I want you all to call her. We can tell she knows what she's talking about. She says, ew, Leviticus, what's in there? But what's in your brain? Nothing. I'm mad at her. Verse 6, I will give you peace in the land. Lie down and none will make you afraid. I'll rid all the evil beasts out of the land. And neither sword shall go through you. He says, if you stay in my book and you have no other gods and you love me and you keep my word, I'll give you peace. You can lay down at night and not be afraid. No beast will hurt you. And no sword will go through your land. But, conditional, if you will not hearken unto me, and will not do all their commandments. And have no desire for my statutes. And abhor my judgments. Break my covenants. Remember, it's you or a nation. No desire of my statutes. Abhor my judgments. Break my covenants. I will appoint, verse 16, terror unto you. I think we call it terrorism. I think we have congressional meetings to figure out how we got in this mess, how we're going to get out of it. I think we run around and blame Rumsfeld, blame Bush, blame Kerry, blame this, blame this, blame her, them, 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 them. We blame everybody for terror in our land when I'll tell you why it's here. There was a time when this country went to sleep at night. There was a time when this country had peace and no nation would stand up to us, could ever beat us. There was a time when we had the blessings of God, but we rejected those books. We threw away the Bible. We throw away the judgment. And now we wonder why we have an appointment with terror. Oh, this book won't quit. And then lastly, and you thought everything else was good up to this. Maybe you didn't. I did. But all oh, the last chapter is the best. We're talking about your walk. The way to God is through sacrifice, chapter 1 through chapter 11. But the walk with God is through your state, through sanctification. Oh yeah. We saw circumcision set you apart. Leprosy. Uncleanliness, the scapegoat. The sins of the other nations. The physical qualifications of a priest. Personal holiness. The feast. Oil in the lamps. 
year of jubilee, blessings of God, cursings of God, all dealing with your walk based on your understanding of the Word of God and following Him. Sanctification. Then verse 27, or chapter 27. Chapter 27, you know what you got after you got all this? You got the things that are devoted to God. You know what that priest did? That priest looked around him, and he looked at all God gave him. And he said something like this, Lord, you've been so good to me, and Lord, I just love you so much. God, you've taken care of me, you've taken care of my wife, taken care of my kids, you give me a good job, you give me a house, you give me this, you give me that. Lord, I'll tell you what, I, I don't know what to tell you. And Lord, you know what, Lord, I'll tell you. I love you so much. There's some things that I'm going to give back to you. And I'm going to give you some devoted things. And in that great chapter, there's the things that those priests said, Lord, these are yours. They're mine. I know you've given them to me, but I'm giving them back to you. And whether it was the animals, the land, whatever, once they gave it back to God, they couldn't sell it. They couldn't give it away. It was the Lord's. I'm going to tell you something. What in your life have you devoted to him? Do you even know what he wants? People get all upset. You know, I don't want to go to church because all they're talking about is money. Hey, God doesn't care about your money. There's lots of other things you can give to God that God wants you to devote. You know what your problem is? Your problem isn't money. Your problem is anything. You just don't want to give anything to God personally. You want to keep what you got for yourself. You want all the things after God's given you everything. You don't want to devote anything to him. He says in verse 28, notwithstanding no devoted thing that a man shall devote unto the Lord of all that he hath, both of man and beast, and of the field of his possessions, shall be sold or redeemed. You can't sell them. You don't have to redeem them anymore. Every devoted thing is most holy unto the Lord. All devoted things are God's until the 50th year of Jubilee. Hey, once you give it to Him, it's devoted to Him. Totally His. It's not yours anymore. Whether it be your lands, whether it be your animal, whether it be your house, whether it be your kids, they're His. You can't sell them. You can't give them away. And that's what it means, my friend, to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. There's things in your life and my life when you come to the point where you understand what you are in the ministry of God. That you're a priest. You're a priest. You're a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And once you're a priest, you understand that as you work daily, you realize that the weight of God was through sacrifice. And you see all those sacrifices fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you understand that your walk with God is based on your sanctification. And all of those things in your life build you to the place where you keep yourself under God. And in the process of that, you look at what God's given you. You look what you have. You look what you are. And you simply say this, God, there's some things that I'm just going to give to you. There's some things that I'm going to give to you. I'm going to, I'm going to give you my kids. I'm going to give you my job. I'm going to give you my finances. I'm going to give you my house. I'm going to give you my business. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you my wife. I'm going to give you my husband. I'm going to give you this. And once you give it to him, they're his. 
and you take that thing as serious, man, that you know that they are holy unto him. And when you come to that point in your life that you understand your standing. That's your worship with God. That is your sinless perfection in the body of Christ and your state. Your daily cleansing and walk with him. Two of the most misunderstood, undertaught, forgotten doctrines in the Bible that are the backbone of what you and I believe. You ask yourself in your life, and we're going to end on this. No invitation today. I just want to have you think about this in your life. What have you devoted to him? With all that you got, with all that you are, with all your success, with all your failures, what have you just said? Have you even, are you even to the place in your life where you sit down with God and have those conversations? I mean, are you just flitting around playing, saying, well, I ain't happy this, I ain't happy that, and yet you're not willing to do anything about it? Are you just one of those kind of people that just kind of go through life and you maintain your Christianity and put on the show, but the bottom line is there's no substance down on the inside that you understand that you're a priest. You understand what the book of Leviticus understands, and now you see it even clearer and you realize, you know what, as a priest, there's things that I'm going to give to him that are his. And you know what? I don't want to know what they are. I don't care what they are. They're between you and God. But that's what makes your relationship so special. That's what builds into your life and the life of God all of those things that make you an effective priest. Samuel, he wanted to do what God wanted him to do, but he was in the world of unclean priests, men who let the lamp of God go out. But you know what? Perfect picture of where we're at today. And yet God got to Samuel everything he needed to be a great priest for the Lord. That's where we're at today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Hey, you want to be